Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries, where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media. If you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there on Instagram. Our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you are listening this morning, welcome to the Unshakable Nation. Other ways, I want to take an opportunity to just say thank you to those who have donated to the show to help support us here. If you're wondering how you might be able to support the show, if you will check your podcast app right there in the show notes, we have a link that says support the show. You can go in and you can donate one time or you can set up a recurring gift, however you want to do it, but know that giving is not required to be a part of the Unshakable Nation. Also want to let you know, we have brand new designs out in the apparel store. So if you will go to the link in your podcast app that says apparel, you will see those new designs in there. We would love for you to check those out. Want to throw this out there? If you have your own design or a design you have in mind for a t-shirt, if you want to send that over, I'm going to give the email address in just a moment, but you can send that over. We can get that set up for you and make it available for you in our apparel store. Also, if you are part of a church group and you are looking for bulk discounts, we can offer that as well. So you can just reach out to us for that. The most important way that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation is through your prayers. We just ask that you add us to your prayer list, asking God to lead us, that we'd be sensitive to where he is already at work, impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For feedback, questions, comments, topics, whatever you want to throw at me, ask that you send that over to Sam at unshakableministries.com. So this morning, as you know, we have been going through the four-part series, The Heart at Church, and then we went through Election 2020, The King I Chose, and now we are going to dive into my favorite season of the year, which is Christmas. So we're going to dive into Jesus. I love Jesus. I hope you love Jesus. So let's just dig into Jesus. Um, the main thing I want to do is I want to dig into some of the prophecies about the coming of Christ. And this is a never-ending rabbit hole. As you start studying the prophets of Jesus, it is very, very interesting to see the way all of this comes together and knowing that only a sovereign God could make all of this happen the way that it happened. So this morning, as we dive in, I want you to stick with me because it is full of information. I'm hoping to make this one not as long 
as some of the previous episodes have been, uh, I'm hoping that we can get this done maybe a little sooner. But either way, whatever, we're trusting God. So let's just dig in. So in Matthew, we see in the beginning, during the birth of Christ, we see that there's this genealogy. And we know that through some of the prophecies that Jesus was going to come through the line of David. And I find it very interesting that Jesus did in fact come through the line of David, not just through his father Joseph, but also through Mary. So you see how God brought that together? Because there are many people, I've heard this over and over, that, but Joseph is technically not his father, so how did he come through the line of David? Well, his mother also came through the line of David, which is very awesome. So, like I said, this is a puzzle that only God could put together in its perfection. So, let's dig in this morning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 22. And we see that through Abraham, God promised him a son through whom nations would be ruled. Then God calls Abraham to sacrifice the life of that son. But what we have to understand in that is God never intended for Isaac to be killed, but that was the testing of Abraham's obedience. The words of Abraham in Genesis 22.8 can provide us with some great insight to what God's plan was. And I love this. This is as they are heading up to the altar, Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac is asking his father, Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And this is what Abraham says in Genesis 22:8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. You see, the lamb of God has nothing to do with man. And what I mean by that is, man didn't provide that lamb. Just as we see in the instance of Abraham going up to sacrifice Isaac. God provided that lamb. And we see that through Christ, God provided that lamb. So there's great insight in what Abraham said right there. The main verse I want to look at is Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18. And this is what it says. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God has now given Abraham a glance as to what will come through his bloodline. And I think it's important to understand what God means by all nations will be blessed. As I've said before, it is critical to understand the word that is being used in verses giving them a blanket definitions in the English language. So we have to understand what the word that is being used means in the context it's being used versus just throwing out the English definition when we read. We have a tendency when we read in English to apply English definitions and you lose context and the true definition of that word 
when it comes to Scripture. So, looking at that, we have to be very cautious in how we interpret words and be sure to go back to their original meaning as written in their original language. So, blessed comes from the Hebrew word barat, which means cause to kneel. In this context, it doesn't mean all nations will be prosperous as we have been taught to believe. And we talked about the word bless or blessed when we went through the Sermon on the Mount and what that really looks like. And in that context, it means to be completely and totally satisfied. Satisfied in Christ. So this word blessed here, instead of meaning prosperity or God has blessed me, what it means is to be caused to kneel. Isn't that interesting? That when we see here, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be caused to kneel because you have obeyed my voice. So when we look at this context, we can see this verse is clearly giving us a promise of the coming Jesus through the bloodline of Abraham. And I believe that this is how God can truly speak to us. Again, going back to the original meaning of the words, not adding our own value or our own definitions to these words, but looking at what it means. What a prophecy to see that God is making a covenant with Abraham, a promise to Abraham, that through him, all nations of the earth will be caused to kneel. And that is coming through the line of Christ, or through the life of Christ. And then, when we look over at Numbers 24, 17, and... Again, these things, oh man, they're so full of information. And as I began to really study the prophecies, I've studied some of the prophecies, prophecies before, but as I really began to dig into these prophecies, they are so full of information. And again, I'm going to try to bring true context to exactly what these things mean. All right, so... Numbers 24, 17, this is what it says, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Well, some might read that and say, what? What did that just say? As I did when I first read this, I can see that there's some prophetic nature in this verse, but what does it mean? Well, I believe that's where the keyword study comes in. So this gives us some great information when doing our keyword studies. So let's put this verse in perspective in the original Hebrew definitions. So I'm going to read this using those definitions. 
I have a vision of him, but his time is not yet. I lie in wait for him, but this is not his place. A Messiah in the personification of God shall come from Jacob, and a branch shall lead from Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. You see how different that sounds? I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I have a vision of him, but his time is not yet. I lie in wait for him, but this is not his place. A Messiah and the personification of God shall come from Jacob, and a branch shall lead from Israel. Now, what does it mean? When it says that this branch, this Messiah, shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. I think it's important to note some key things in these verses. As I said, first and foremost, why does this branch, why is it going to crush Moab? And secondly, why is this branch going to break down the sons of Seth? Well, when you go back and you do your history research and you understand the historical context of this, then you know that Moab was a nation born out of sinful behavior. But as we see in the story of Ruth, this branch would be the redemption of Moab, therefore crushing the sinful nature. Now, where did Moab come from? Well, Moab... As you may or may not know, is the son of Lot through one of his daughters. And this is the moment in history where his daughters got him drunk to the point that he had no clue where he was. They lay with him and both got pregnant. And one of them had a son named Moab. Hence, the Moabites. So when it says here, that this branch is going to crush Moab, it is because it was born out of sinful behavior. But the story of Ruth, what a great story of redemption. The kinsman redeemer, if you haven't read the story of Ruth, go read the story of Ruth. I'm not going to dig into that right here, but man, what an amazing story to see how this nation that was born out of sinful behavior, not only born out of sinful behavior, but also was a sinful nation, and to see that God redeems that through Ruth and brings Ruth into the fold of Israel through the kinsman redeemer. Now, what's so interesting about that? Pause. I do not want to get ahead of myself here because this is going to get into some of the prophecies that I want to get into. So let's pause. But if you know the story of Ruth, you know where this is going. All right. So why does it then say that he's going to break down all the sons of Seth? Well, though much of Seth's descendants, who is the son of Adam and Eve, the one that replaced Abel after Cain murdered him, Though much of Seth's descendants did continue worshiping God, this came to a halt, and they began to mingle 
and intermarry with the descendants of Cain. And we see that in Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. So when it says, when man began to multiply, it's referring to Cain's descendants. And when it says the sons of God, it's referring to Seth's descendants. So they began to intermingle and intermarry with the descendants of Cain, which was not supposed to happen. They were supposed to keep their line pure, but they didn't. So why is God going to crush the sons of Seth? This is why. Because they stepped outside of what God's desire was for them. But what is so awesome about all of this, and we see in the life of Christ, is we're looking literally for a physical crushing or the physical breakdown of these people. But that's not what it's referring to. It's referring to the fact that Christ will crush this sinful nature through giving his own life. It doesn't mean that he's physically going to crush these sons of Seth or crush the forehead of Moab. It means that he is going to be victorious over sin. He is going to bridge the gap where we have all fallen short. That is what a redeemer looks like. That is what a savior looks like. He doesn't come in that judgment. He comes to offer himself as the lamb. And I love that in Genesis 22, 8, where Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the sacrifice. And God did just that. And we see God is telling us beforehand what he is going to do. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's that he does love us. And he loves us enough to provide his own lamb. Not just his own lamb, his only begotten son, who is, in essence, God himself the personification of God, as I just read from Numbers 24, 17. Let's read that again. I have a vision of him, but his time is not yet. I lie and wait for him, but this is not his place. A Messiah and the personification of God shall come from Jacob and a branch shall lead from Israel. And when you read John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Lamb that God provided for Himself. God provided Himself as the Lamb through the person of Jesus Christ. You read that in Philippians Chapter 2, 
verses five through eight, when it says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who did not, although being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave up his heavenly realm. He came here in obedience, even obedience to death on the cross. God stepped away from his throne, became the lamb, and laid his life down for you and for me and for every other person on this planet. How should we look at everyone we come in contact with? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. You know, it's so easy sometimes to look at other people and to judge them and to miss that we are called to love them with the love of Christ, the same love that Christ loves us with. We are to look at other people through the eyes of Christ. Who out there is beyond God's love? Nobody. And when we realize that, and we realize that God himself stepped off of his throne, made himself the lamb for our sacrifice, to pay our sin debt, then how can we not look at others with love? How can we treat others with judgment and contempt? How can we be divisive? We can't. If we truly consider ourselves to be Christ followers, to love God, then we must also love as God has first loved us. So let me ask you, as we continue to go through this series, and I'm going to dig into some more prophecies of Christ, but I want you to ask yourself, where do you stand? I know it's easy to call yourself a Christ follower, and if you are Praise God for that. But keep in mind, we all have room for growth. When you look at another person, you have to look at them with the love of God, not with judgment and unforgiveness and bitterness. But we must love them just as God loves them. So I hope that you will stick with me through this as we dig into the Christmas season and we break down these prophecies and we're also going to understand some of the genealogy here. And as I talked about a minute ago, I'm not going to go through every bit of it now, but we see Adam and then we see Seth and then we come down and we have Noah and then we know that Noah is a direct forefather of Abraham. And we just talked about Abraham today, who is the father of Isaac, whom we will get into over the next, hopefully coming weeks. <laughs> I'm hoping to get all the way to the end of this to Matthew, the genealogy in Matthew, 
by the time Christmas gets here. Uh, no guarantees. We may run a little after Christmas on this one, but you know what? That's okay. It's worth it. Jesus is worth it. So, guys, just stick with me through this. If you haven't studied these promises and these prophecies, I'm asking you to go pick up your Bible and read because it brings a whole new level of faith in being able to trust God, knowing He is sovereign in all things. Father God, we love you. We're so thankful that you made yourself the lamb and that you sacrificed yourself on the cross to bridge the gaps where we fall short. Father, help us to see other people the way that you see them. Let us not look down on them in judgment, in condemnation, in hate, in anger, and bitterness. But God, that we would love our enemies as we love ourselves. We would give them food when they are hungry, something to drink when they are thirsty. And God, most importantly, that we would exemplify your love through Christ to them. Let your light shine through us. Let us be obedient to that call, setting ourselves aside, taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience of Christ. Jesus, through your blood, we have an opportunity to be something different. Teach us to be rooted in you, trusting you as you are the branch that leads from Israel. You are our leader. You're our Lord. We submit to you. We follow you. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, and direct us. Give us the words to say when we don't know what to say. Give us the boldness to speak when we are full of fear. And let us reach this world. We ask, God, that you would make us unshakable. In Christ's name. Guys, I love you. And until next time, remain unshakable.
hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you are listening this morning, welcome to the Unshakable Nation. I want to continue just to thank those for their giving who are currently supporting the show. Ways that you can support the show, if you will go right there in your podcast app and scroll just below the episode description, you will see links to ways that you can either support the show, you can purchase through our apparel store, as well as pick up a copy of the book, but do want to continue to thank those who are currently giving. You can go in if you desire, you don't have to, trust me, I'm not looking uh, for you to feel like you have to donate or give to the show to help support it. But if you would like to, you can go in and do that. Just follow the link right there in your show notes. It will take you over to PayPal and you can give one time or recurring however you desire to do it. But always want to mention that the most important way that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation is through your prayers. We ask that you just continue to lift us up, that we would be sensitive to where God is already at work, joining him there, impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that you guys are just as excited as I am to dig in to the second part of the Son of Promise. We are going through some of the Old Testament prophecies, basically through a genealogical study of Christ and his lineage from the Old Testament and looking at some of those stories and gathering a full context from the Old Testament going into the New Testament so that we can see Christ in the Old Testament. That is what is key here, is I think so many times when we go back, and I've mentioned this before, and I think I've also mentioned why I'm against studying Scripture chronologically. When when the churches try to present this plan that says, let's read through the Bible in a year, and let's study that chronologically, What I think ends up happening is, number one, you're cramming just to try to read the Bible in a year. It becomes one of those checklist items. And I do not believe that the Bible should be read in this manner. I believe that the Bible is what it says it is. It is living and it is active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And what I mean by that is when you are reading, I don't believe in reading the Bible. I believe in studying the Bible. That means when we pick it up, so many times what happens is someone picks up the Bible and they read, let's just say in a chronological way, it's typically four chapters a day. So you pick it up and you read through either the beginning of the day or the end of the day or throughout the day. But what you never allow yourself to do is to really dig in to these verses of Scripture to see what the context is, to see how they are applicable to your life. And I believe that is critical in becoming a Christ follower. Remember, the purpose of the Unshakable Podcast or Unshakable Ministries is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life 
that Christ expects us to live. And in order to do that, we have to dig in through a deep study of the Bible, of these scriptures, to know their context, their original meaning. We can't just read them in English and interpret each word in the English definition. We must go back to the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek to understand what is being said. And that's why I think it is critical that we just slow down. Let's pause and go through these scriptures a little bit at the time to gather context and applicability to our lives so that we can become the Christ followers that Christ expects us to be. We need to educate ourselves, equip ourselves. We need to be encouraged in the scriptures and we need to be empowered by the scriptures to be able to do what we are called to do. So that's why I say I'm against reading the Bible in a year chronologically. Now, if you want to take your time and read the Bible chronologically, it's going to take time. You shouldn't be expected to read that in a year. You should read and study daily. That's what you should do. I'm guilty of not doing that. I will tell you that I let things in life just take over in a day, and I will find myself at the end of the day completely and totally exhausted, laying in bed with the lights off, going, I can't believe that I did not even pick up the Bible today and read or study. And I think that is where we have to become disciplined to set aside a time. And I try to do that on a daily basis, but I'm just being real here, just being completely and totally real and honest with you that I find myself struggling with this as well. I'm not even going to sit here and sit on some righteous pedestal and pretend that I am perfect in this, that I have this down. I don't. We all struggle in this area. I know that we all struggle with prayer as well. You know, we desire to, we want to, but we just find ourselves getting wrapped up. But we've got to be disciplined as Christ followers. And I'm pointing the finger at myself saying, I need to be more disciplined in this area of just sitting back and taking the time to pick up the scriptures and to study and to know what is going on in the scriptures and to be able to apply those to my life. So I hope that you guys will do that with me as we journey through some of the Old Testament prophecies that are referring to the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, where the Old Covenant is going away and the New Covenant is being ushered in. And I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I want to dig in and understand that my goal here is not popularity with what I do, with what I'm teaching here. I understand that through this podcast, if you've been listening, there are some truths that are hard to swallow. And I get that. I completely get that. They were hard to swallow for me as well. But my goal here is to leave a legacy of equipping the saints, a legacy of disciple making, a legacy of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to souls. I don't want to leave a legacy of pleasing men. I want to leave a legacy of pleasing God. So when I stand before my Father in heaven, I will hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. My legacy is not about me. My legacy is not about you. I want my legacy to be about Christ. So that is why I do what I do, and that is why I dig in to the difficult teachings in the Scriptures. That is why I teach the hard truths. That is why I believe that this is what I have called the unpopular podcast. 
I don't have a ton of listeners, a ton of followers, a ton of downloads, and that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the few that do listen, that they themselves will take the time to hear what I'm teaching and go back to the scriptures themselves. Again, the scriptures are what hold the authority, not Sam, but the scripture. So take what I'm teaching and go back to the scripture. See what the Holy Spirit is teaching you in all of this. So with all of that said, let's dig in to the Son of Promise, part two. To start with, we're going to do a quick review of last week. And that quick review of last week, again, remember we looked at Genesis chapter 22. And Genesis chapter 22 is where we see God is making a covenant with Abraham after Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and was going to sacrifice him in obedience to what God was saying. But we saw in that that God was just testing his obedience. God's original intent, and I believe that is so critical, let me say that again. What is critical in the understanding of how things apply to our lives is to understand the original intent of God. That is critical. That is a question we should ask ourselves every time we pick up the Bible and begin to study. What was the original intent? We can't take things and separate them from God's original intent and make them applicable to our lives. So, we see that in Genesis 22, that God's original intent was not that Isaac would be sacrificed. His intent was to test the obedience of Abraham. And in fact, Abraham was obedient. But listen, as I said last week, there was great insight in Genesis 22, verse 8, when Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the offering. And how that in and of itself was prophetic in nature because God, in fact, did provide the lamb for the offering through Jesus Christ. Not only did he provide the lamb for the offering, God became the lamb for the offering. This is the love of God. This is the character of God. So when we're reading the Old Testament, let us read the Old Testament through the lens that the fact that God loved us so much that he not only provided the lamb for the offering, but he himself was the lamb for the offering. That is so critical for us to understand that when we are reading not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well to see this is God. This is the character of God. And then we saw in Genesis 22:18, God said this, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The word blessed there means they shall be caused to kneel. Kneel to whom? Kneel to Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings. That is what the word blessed means right there. It didn't mean that through you, all the nations of the earth will be prosperous. That's not what that meant. What it meant was is that all nations will be caused to kneel before the King of Kings through his offspring. The son of promise would be a direct descendant of Abraham. And we talked a little bit about that last week when we were looking at the genealogy of Jesus. And then we looked at Numbers 24, 17, 
where this verse says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Now, I read that in literal translation from the Hebrew, what those words meant in the Hebrew last week. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, please go back and listen to that so you will hear how that verse sounds in the Hebrew, the literal Hebrew translation and not an English translation, right? So, but it says here that, that this scepter, this seed, this branch shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Now, when we look at Moab, who are the Moabites? Well, as we talked about last week, Moabites were a nation born out of an incestual relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. His oldest, his daughters got him drunk to the point that they went in and they lay with him. Both of them conceived and the oldest daughter bore the son Moab. And the Moabites became one of Israel's greatest enemies. So we see in Numbers 24, 17 that this branch, Jesus, this is a prof, prophetic verse about Jesus, this branch shall crush the forehead of Moab. Well, how would this branch from Jacob crush the forehead of Moab. Well, Moab was one of Israel's greatest enemies. Well, again, I've mentioned this last week, you have to continue to bounce back and forth to gather context to see things the way that they need to be seen. Because when we read the story of Ruth, where was Ruth from? Ruth was a Moabite woman and also, listen, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ was the great-grandmother of David. And we are given a clear picture of exactly how God takes care of Moab and crushes the forehead of Moab and, break, and break down, breaks down all the sons of Seth. It is through grace, mercy, forgiveness, and ultimately through redemption. It's not through physical violence or force. And I think that so many times what happens is, is we read the Old Testament and we think that God is this God of war, but when we see the true stories like the story of Ruth, who was a Moabite woman, and understanding that the Moabites were a cursed nation because Moab was conceived through sin. So therefore, the Moabites became a cursed nation and one of the greatest enemies of Israel. You would think, right, that Ruth would in no way be welcomed into the fold of God. But she was. But listen, here's the thing. What we understand is... How all of this takes place is when you read the story of Ruth, that Ruth herself committed her, she committed her life to serving God. And I think that's interesting, and I hope you will go read the story of Ruth. It's only a few chapters. It is worth the read to see this story of redemption coming out and what Ruth said to Naomi in all of this and how she, Ruth turned her back on her nation of Moab. But please go read the story. Don't, don't listen to what I'm telling you because I'm giving you little tidbits. Go read the story. It is worth it. It is truly worth it. So we see that God's desire was not to physically crush through violence and force the forehead of Moab, but we see that through the story of Ruth, it was through grace, mercy, forgiveness, and ultimately through redemption. Now when we dive in this week, I want us to pause and ask ourselves some questions. Again, as I said a moment ago, 
It's critical in understanding Scripture. What was God's original intent and desire? Did God intend for man to rebel against him in the garden? And was God's desire to punish man after that rebellion? And I ask this because in order to get a full grasp on who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish, you must understand the original intent. And I know that there are many Christians today who justify violence and war calling on the God of the Old Testament as their justification. But does God desire to punish and or destroy men because of their sin? Is it possible that your view of God as a warmonger is wrong? When you justify violence and war based on your view of God in the Old Testament, are you then taking on the role of God and calling your view righteous? Because there's only one righteous judge in existence, and that is God alone. So Sam, what does this have to do with the prophecies of the coming Messiah? I'm glad you asked. We're digging into Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5 this morning, and I want to read those. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So again, as I keep bringing up the story of Ruth, I want to take these verses back to our review that we just went through of last week and look at Ruth, a Moabite, the nation born through incest between Lot and his daughters. And as I said, Numbers 24, 17 says that this branch will crush the forehead of Moab. Many would take this to mean a violent act from God to literally crush Moab by force. However, we are talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus, God in the flesh, who didn't act out in violence ever. He didn't condone it or perpetuate it. So when you look at the original intent of God, you have to look at Jesus Christ because he is the perfect picture of who God is and he judged in righteousness and with mercy. Now, looking at the story of Ruth, we see that God redeemed her and not only did he redeem her, but her blood runs through the veins of Jesus. How amazing is that, that a God, as I said last week, he is the only one who could piece this puzzle together to make it work the way that it works. He took a woman from a cursed nation and he redeemed her with a kinsman redeemer through Boaz. And she became married to Boaz. And they conceived and gave birth to a son whose name was Obed, and Obed, a son whose name was Jesse, and Jesse, as we all know the story of sons whose name was David. And we know 
that this branch came through the seed of David. So Ruth, you see the story of redemption coming through the story of Ruth. So what was God's original intent? No, his intent, again, as we get into this, we see that Scripture tells us, right, that God desires mercy. That is what his original intent is. That is his desire. God desires mercy, and he exemplified this to us. So let's answer these questions. Did God intend for man to rebel against him in the garden? The answer is clearly no. But what happened at the same time was not outside the knowledge of God and his sovereignty. God knew when he created man and woman in that garden that they were going to sin. It wasn't outside his knowledge, but it, wasn't, it also wasn't his desire for them to do that. His desire was obedience. We see these are two key things that we understand about Scripture. About scripture. God desires mercy over sacrifice. God desires obedience over sacrifice. So what God's desire was for Adam was obedience. But he also knew that wasn't going to happen. That's a sovereign God. So in that, with God already knowing that Adam and Eve were going to take the fruit and eat it, was God's desire to then punish them after that rebellion? And the answer again is a resounding no. We see that if God's desire was to punish man, he would have done so in the garden and just dealt harshly with Adam and Eve. But what we see instead is a picture of mercy as God is the one who made them garments to cover themselves. So if God is this warmongering God, this violent God, this what, what I call this universe, universal punisher, as so many Christians see him, then why of all things when he comes in the garden does he not just strike Adam and Eve down right there? Why does he make garments to cover them? We see that this is the first picture of mercy. That's what we're seeing. That's, we see this picture of God. But there were consequences that came from their actions. And I think this is commonly misunderstood to remove the responsibility from man for their own actions. And I think that's what happens is, you know, there are so many people that walk through their life today and they have this view of God and, and some by choice, some because that's the way that they've been taught, that God's just punishing me for my sin. What? That's not who God is. God is a merciful God. He is a merciful father. And it tells us that if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's God. God is not this high-seated punisher sitting on a throne just casting down consequences on those for their shortcomings. We have shortcomings, and we do pay consequences for the choices that we make, but they're because of our choices. So again, I think sometimes this is commonly misunderstood to remove the responsibility from man for their own actions and choices. But did God give them consequences or did man create their own consequences by stepping outside the instructions of God and being disobedient? 
And I think, think sometimes that's what we have to do when we pay consequences in life. Maybe we should take a step back and look at the choices we made and not so much say that God is punishing us, but maybe say we're paying the consequences for our own choices. So every evil choice comes with a consequence, and that consequence is based on our choice, and therefore we bear all responsibility for that. Not God. God is a just God, a righteous God, a merciful God, a faithful God, a loving God. That is the view of God that we should have. God's not sitting around with a belt in his hand waiting to punish you for doing wrong. And I think, honestly, I think there's a view of this God that many Christian parents carry into their relationships with their children. And I get the verse that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. I understand that. I'm a, a believer in, in that type of punishment when necessary. However, at the same time, within that, it can't just be all rod and no mercy, no compassion, no love. We lose relationships that way. Now, this is the way that I grew up believing is that it was rod, 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 and there was never any compassion mercy or love. And I feel like that when I look at God throughout the scriptures, what I see is God is embracing us. He is bringing us in. We get a perfect picture of God in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, when it says that the father ran out to meet the son and he embraced him. The, the father was waiting on the son's return. And that, that is who God is. God loves us. And not only did he run out to embrace him, but he killed the fatted calf for him. He threw a party for him. This is God. This is the character of God. So when we look at the Old Testament, instead of reading verses and seeing that he will crush the forehead of Moab and thinking that that means violence or, or physical force, let us look at the story of Ruth and see this picture of redemption. That is what we see. But yes, there are consequences to our choices, but those consequences are our own responsibility, not the doing of God who is sitting up there dealing out punishment. But Sam, what about the flood and when God told Israel to destroy the nations? Well, what we see in the Old Testament is God removing his protection from nations and allowing them to be destroyed because of their hatred for him. Remember, the point here is to see that God is the only righteous judge. He judges not based on what he sees or hears. He judges the intent of the heart. And I think we can also see this when Jonah goes to Nineveh, God has mercy on them. Jonah knew this. Jonah, that's why Jonah got mad about it. Jonah got mad that God had mercy on Nineveh. And we see that he went up and he looked down on Nineveh under the shade tree and the tree withered. He paid the consequences. But we don't question God's judgment. We also don't try to impugn God's judgment because we aren't God. We will never be God and thank God for that. Because I see the way some Christians are acting and the judgment that is on their lips, man, it is unbelievable to see how they treat other people and it is not in a Christ-like character or manner. It is not in a God-like manner. 
Be ye holy for he is holy. God is merciful. God is loving. God is compassionate. Christians, that is what we are called to be. And we are failing miserably at that. When we fall into justify war, support war, when we ourselves are violent in nature, violent in character, we are violent with our words and we are impugning judgment on people. That is a sin. You are not God. I am not God and we have no right. When we step out and make choices that rebel against God, we are removing ourselves from his protection. So when something bad happens, it's easy for us to want to blame God or say that we're being punished, but this is not how God deals with us. Choosing a life of sin brings bad because we have walked away from God and are therefore no longer under his protection. Therefore, we are not being punished by God, but being punished by our own actions. Now listen, here's what I do know. There is no way that you can look at Jesus Christ and go back and justify war. We know that in the Old Testament, God spoke directly to people through prophets. God spoke directly to people through visions. But I want to remind you that in Hebrews 1.1, it tells us all we need to know in that God now speaks to us through his son who has exemplified exactly what God is and what God expects from us as his followers. So like I said, when you see that it says that in the old times, God spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son. That means everything must be interpreted through the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say that over and over. But this is another clear example of why that is, is because God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can't justify war or violence by stating that evil deserves to die when in fact we are evil as well. The very intents of our heart are evil. And we are to look at people with the love of Christ and pray that their hearts will be turned from wickedness, not to look at them in judgment. Again. Ruth, as a Moabite, was looked down on as being from a cursed nation. But what you end up seeing when you look at these stories closely is not a prophecy of retribution from the Old Testament, but a prophecy of redemption. It's not a contradiction, but conception of the new covenant. The old covenant, listen, original intent, or old covenant was never intended to be the final plan, but was leading us from the beginning to the new covenant with Christ. So what was God's original intent? God's original intent was Jesus Christ. Why is he the central character in everything in scripture? Why should everything be interpreted through the life and teachings of Jesus Christ? Because Christ was the original intent. He was not a secondary plan. He was the original intent. And we can see by keeping Noah alive, God had created a path to salvation, not damnation. As we see through this lineage that Noah was kept alive 
Abraham was a direct descendant of Noah. David, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David were direct descendants of Abraham. And then both Mary and Joseph were direct descendants of David. Therefore, the branch has now come out of Israel. The branch has not come in force or in violence to rule the nations of this world. Yet, he has come through a plan of redemption, a path to salvation, not damnation. Let us see that and let us see each and every person in this world that we come in contact with, not with hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness, but let us look at them with compassion and love and mercy and forgiveness, knowing that God sent Christ for them as well. And understand if you're listening to this episode and you feel like that you are unreachable, that you are a lost cause, understand we all were a lost cause at one point. But God, through Jesus Christ, demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were lost, that he sent Christ to die for us on the cross. So yes, we all were once a lost cause. Lost cause. But through the blood of Christ, we have been redeemed. You have been redeemed. All you have to do is confess. There is no magical prayer that would lead you into this relationship with Christ. It is about you simply getting on your face before God begging Him for forgiveness, for falling short where you have fallen short, placing your trust in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it is a rising to walk as a new man, leaving the old behind and committing your life to following Christ, learning about Him and becoming His disciple. You, right where you are, stop, pause, and cry out to God. For all he has done for you, remember, he didn't just provide the lamb. He provided himself as the lamb. Father, we thank you for these stories that we see throughout all of scripture, God, these stories of redemption and salvation and how you put this puzzle together, this perfect plan. God, the original intention was always Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing us this picture throughout the Old Testament to lead us into the New Testament when he finally appears. God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. But God, what is so important and critical to understand is the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. God, we owe you everything. Everything. Because of what you have done for us. Thank you for this plan that we could not put together. But you so masterfully pieced together. And gave us an opportunity to be reconciled to you through your son, Jesus Christ, let us this season celebrate that coming. Celebrate during this season the birth and what that truly represents 
you stepping away from your throne to come to us and provide yourself as that sacrifice. God, make us in this truth unshakable. We will give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise in Christ's name. Guys, I love you. And until next time, remain unshakable. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries, where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you are listening this morning, welcome to the Unshakable Nation. Other ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you will check your podcast app right there in your show notes in the episode description, you will see links to other ways you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. But the most important way, as we lay out every single week, is we covet your prayers greatly. We ask that you just add us to your prayer list, praying that we would be sensitive to what God is doing, where the Holy Spirit is already at work, and that we would join God there, impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that you have had an opportunity to listen to 
part one and part two of the Son of Promise. If you have not, I ask that you please pause this episode, go back and listen to part one and part two as we are walking through the Son of Promise through prophecy. We are looking at the coming of Jesus Christ through prophecies from the Old Testament and mixing that in with a genealogical study of Jesus Christ, the bloodline of Jesus Christ, to see what God's original intent was and how God pieced this puzzle together. So I hope that you will just pause this one right now. If you have not had an opportunity to listen to the first two episodes, to pause and just go back and listen to those as we are doing these in order, and hopefully they will set up what we are going to dig into today, which is some extremely important information. So just to recap, what we are doing, what we have currently gone through, or what we have gone through in the past two episodes, let me just set this up really quick with a, with a quick review. We're traveling the road of prophecy about the coming of Christ through a genealogical view in the bloodline of Christ, as I just said a moment ago. And so far, we have seen David in that bloodline, who is the son of Jesse, who is the son of Obed, who is the son of Boaz, and Boaz, who was married to Ruth. Boaz being a direct descendant of Isaac, the son that was promised to Abraham, who is a direct descendant of Noah. So we see that the bloodline of Christ came directly through God's redemption of Noah. We looked at that last week and the week before that. When we see that Christ came through a bloodline that was preserved by God through redemption, then there's only one conclusion left when it comes to God's original intent for man. And last week, as we looked at Isaiah chapter 11, in conjunction with the story of Ruth the Moabite, the biggest takeaway was to see God's original intent was the redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. It was not a secondary plan. It was God's original intent to send Jesus Christ to die for mankind, to be the sacrifice. Now, remember, Isaac was the quote-unquote lowercase son of promise given to Abraham by God, through whom God would give us the quote-unquote uppercase son of promise in Jesus Christ. We also saw that God provided a lowercase lamb for Abraham to sacrifice in place of Isaac, when testing the obedience of Abraham. And in this provision, God was preserving the bloodline of the uppercase lamb he would provide in the person of Jesus Christ. And we saw that in Genesis 22:8, where Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for sacrifice. There was insight in that. This was a, a prophetic word. If we truly look at that, we see that God not only provided a, a ram caught in the bush for the, the sacrifice of Abraham, but God then himself became the lamb for sacrifice, for sin of all mankind. So we also saw that God not only provided that uppercase lamb to be the sacrifice for all men, but God, as I said a moment ago, provided himself in the person of Jesus as that lamb for the sacrifice. Through the bloodline of Isaac, that being Boaz, God would also bring about redemption to Ruth the Moabite in a way that no one expected when looking at Numbers 24, 17. And we went through that in detail last week and the week before looking at that. And I would encourage you to go and again, if you haven't listened to him, go listen to those two episodes as we really break down Numbers 24, 17. 
And when you read that, many would interpret this to mean physical force or violence. But remember, God's ways are not our ways, and therefore, we see the path God decided on when we trace the story back and answer the question, what was God's original intent? This should be a question that we ask every time we pick up the scripture to study. What was God's original intent? This week, we're going to dig into another prophecy and keeping in mind that this will be our last week in the Old Testament, what we are doing is we are setting up the story of Christ coming, the story of the birth of Christ, and we will transition next week into the New Testament to see the coming of the Son of Promise. But this week will be our last week in the Old Testament looking at prophecy from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. This is what it says. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Now I want to look at some key components of those verses right there. And one is to see, the first one is to see the son of promise would come from Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah. Now remember, Judah, the grandson of Jacob, and Jacob is the son of Isaac. So we see that bloodline again, looking at the genealogy here, the bloodline of Christ. And we see that the son of promise would come from Bethlehem. Now, being on this side of history and looking back, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And we can see how God has masterfully put together the genealogy of the son of promise. The very fact that God provided himself as the lamb comes from verse three right here. So the son of promise is eternal in nature. It says his goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. Now, when I said that we need to answer this question every time we study scripture, what is God's original intent? What was God's original intent? We see the son of promise coming to Bethlehem and his goings forth are from long ago from the days of eternity. So we see that God is the only eternal being, triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the only eternal being. Everything else outside of God was created. So therefore, the fact that God provided himself as the lamb comes from this verse. And John 1 gives us another glimpse of this truth. And I read through John 1 last week. And we see that in John 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we beheld his glory. So we know that based on scripture, God provided himself as the lamb, 
as the son of promise. The son of promise is eternal in nature. He has been there for all of eternity. And then the next key point I want us to see here, because this is really what we're going to dig into this morning. It says he will give them up. He will give them up is going back to something I pointed out last week. We, we talked about this way that people see God, and we have to change our view of a God as this majestic punisher when we truly see this. This man that sits on a throne and is just dealing out punishment, we have this view of him and we need to change our view because when we read this, it says he will give them up. He will give them up. What does that mean? To give them up is to remove his protection. As I mentioned last week, he, he is going to remove, based on this verse right here, is going to, but we know this side of history, he has already, he removed his protection from Israel and they were overtaken. And we see that as we transition into the New Testament. We see that the, Ro the Romans were actually over Israel at this time. So in the period of approximately 500 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God went silent on Israel and had given them up until, until what? Until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. So we see here that God had turned Israel over to their own choices for approximately 500 years. And this caused them, one, to be destroyed by Babylon. Secondly, to become captives of Rome. Now, this is what I want to mention right here. In that 500 years, that, those are the years that are called the intertestamental period. These are between the Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When God was silent, what could go wrong, right? So we know when we look at Amos chapter 8, verse 11, we know that this is the famine that Amos spoke about. God had caused a drought of his presence. And in this drought, people began to divide into different political, religious, and social groups pushing their own agendas as being authoritative. We also know that each group claimed the right and authority to interpret Scripture, and they were therefore divided in their interpretations as well. The office of the high priest. Now keep in mind what the priest was designed to do, God's original intent of the priest, but the office of the high priest was corrupted as it was bought and sold during this intertestamental period. That means that whoever the highest bidder was became the authority on Scripture. And during this period, we also see the birth of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Now, when I say the birth of the scribes, I'm talking about these, this new group of scribes. I'm not talking about when we go back and we look in the Old Testament and see some scribes in the Old Testament. I'm talking about this new version, keeping in mind what the scribes were to do. But when we look during this period, these obviously can't be the same type of scribes as we see in the Old Testament. So we see in this period the birth of the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Scribes didn't feel the priests were properly interpreting the law, so they formed themselves as a group to interpret, and they modeled themselves on Ezra. Now we go back and we read the book of Ezra, which is a great story, but here's the problem. What we know about Ezra that wasn't true for these so-called scribes is that the hand of the Lord was on Ezra and God sent him to teach the Torah and encourage Jews to follow all that God commanded. So that means that this group of scribes 
was self-proclaiming the authority of God without actually having the authority of God to interpret and teach. Now, how do we know this? Because this was during the period that God was silent and had distanced himself from Israel and all of mankind. So you can't say, you can't call yourself sent of God or having the authority of God if in fact you haven't heard from God. I hope that makes sense where we're going here. And then we also see the Pharisees. The Pharisees came after the Maccabean War and focused on a narrow view of food laws and ritualistic purity. These views came more from their oral tradition and not from Scripture. And then the Sadducees also evolved as a group who rejected the Pharisees' view on oral tradition, which that's great that they rejected that. And they, but the problem with that is, is they only stuck to the five books of Moses and they rejected the prophets as being authoritative. So they were considered to be the elites in Jerusalem. And by the time Jesus arrived, they had assumed control over the temple. They were also the socio-political group of this time, tying themselves to Roman politicians for personal gain. Now, in spite of these groups, there were still many who watched and waited for the arrival of the Messiah. In this period, the problem became that there was so much misinformation, dilution, and debate over the scriptures, true meaning that people couldn't even recognize the Messiah. Some were looking for a warrior to overtake the corruption in the priesthood and overthrow Rome, and some were looking for this priestly Messiah. And what I think is so critical to see in this period is what happens to people in the absence of God's truth. It became a free-for-all where people were led by emotion in their walk with God. It was a time of complete chaos in the truths of God. The people of God were divided into different political, religious, and social groups. And this caused great turmoil among the people. Every religious group thought their way was the right way without even knowing the right way themselves. When you look at today's church in comparison to this, it is eerily the same thing. People are tying God to their emotions and following their own path versus the only path in Jesus. If it seems right to them, they do it regardless of what the Bible says about it. People who claim to be teachers of God are not teaching the truths of God. Other people who are claiming to be teachers are, teachers are profiting from this. How is this different from the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees of the time? The church is completely divided politically, spiritually, and socially. How can we not see this when we see the problem with the scribes? is they self-proclaimed themselves to be in the authority of God. The Pharisees were focused more on tradition, food laws, and ritualistic purity, and from their oral tradition and not from Scripture. God, we see this so much today. People who claim the authority of God who don't actually have the authority of God People who are focused more on tradition and not scripture. And then the Sadducees, who were the socio-political group of this time, 
tying themselves to politics. Now, these are all religious groups. And they had different religious, political, and social views. Listen, division is not of God. It's not of God. And we're, we see that in Scripture. God is not a divided God. A kingdom divided against itself will fall. So we see in this intertestamental period what is going on. It's pure chaos. Every denomination these days thinks their way is the right way without regard for the truth of Scripture. So much delusion and misinterpretation and taking things out of context. Go look at what these denominations believe, and they believe this by simply taking a small section of Scripture, and they build a foundation of faith on this one small section of Scripture. Listen, the Bible is a whole. It cannot be broken into pieces to create a foundation of faith. Faith is based on the beginning all the way to the end. And ultimately, what it comes down to is faith is built on the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ alone. Everything must be. You hear me say this over and over and over again. But it, it honestly, it gets frustrating to see the church in the direction that they are going and that they have just brought all of these people along for the ride and they don't even know the truths of God. They don't study for themselves. So just like sheep being led to the slaughter, they just follow whatever they're told to follow. Everything must go through Jesus Christ. They've all come up with their own interpretation and claim their interpretation is correct. The church today has abandoned the teaching of Scripture that tells us as the church, listen, it's not as the churches, as the denominations, it's it tells us, as the church, one body, one mind, of one accord, together in the same mission. Instead, it has become a competition to see which one is right and which one is wrong. Just as we see in the intertestamental period, the chaos that ensued when God's truth was absent, it's the exact same thing we see today. The body of Christ is in chaos. We are in shambles. We are divided religiously, politically, and socially. We are not of one mind and of one accord. We are not focused on the same mission. And it breaks my heart. And what breaks my heart even more is how all of these people are professing to be members of the body of Christ and still in their minds remained, remain divided with other people. God cannot be divided against himself. He ceases to be God in that. So how are we as members of the body of Christ divided? I hear people say all the time, well, I mean, we can have different views and, you know, still be friends. Listen, the stuff that is going on today is dividing the people down to the core. We are being divided racially, socially, politically, spiritually. And we believe everything these people tell us and we just follow right along with it instead of going back to the scriptures to understand who Jesus is what he taught and how he lived. 
We need to get our focus back. But listen to me, what I'm telling you is we can't, we can't do this ourselves. God is the only one who could and can bring balance to this chaos. John 14, 6 speaks of that balance. There's only one way. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the balance in the chaos. And we will never get this right until we turn to Jesus. Not simply in repentance, not simply going to church, not simply singing a bunch of worship songs, not simply reading the Bible, not simply professing Him as Lord, but when we fully submit to His teachings as laid out in the Scriptures, and when we learn to interpret all Scriptures through the life and teachings of Christ, then, and only then, will we see the perfect picture of God and what His original intent was, and that Jesus is the son of promise who is the central character in all of scripture church let us get this right stop being led politically and socially and racially and being divided stop set your eyes on the son of promise jesus christ he came to bring balance to the chaos if you call yourself a child of God, stop following the socio-political paths of this world. We have to rise above it. We, in Christ Jesus, are better than what this world tells us or has to offer. Don't believe the hype. Set, therefore, your mind on the things that are above those things that are pure and holy and noble. So may we focus on this Christmas season with a new outlook, a new view of God, seeing that his original intent was grace, mercy, forgiveness, and redemption through his son of promise, Jesus Christ, for all mankind. Father, we thank you God, for your promise from the very beginning, God, you gave us a promise. And we thank you that throughout the Old Testament, God, you gave us reminders of that promise of the coming son. And God, we are thankful that that son, in fact, did come. We thank you, God, for stepping away from your throne just for a little while to become the son of promise, to live a life of perfection, to die the death of a sinner, but to be raised once again to life and to ascend back to the throne. All because you loved us. Let us love like you. Father, let us focus on you, not what this world is telling us, not what our friends are telling us, not what the media is telling us, not what the politicians are telling us, but let us focus on you and what you say that we may as a body of all colors, all nations, all backgrounds may come together to show your power, 
God, that the world would behold your glory through us as vessels. And most importantly, God, we would focus on the mission at hand, which is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of promise. God, make us unshakable. We will give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise in Christ's name. Guys, I hope next week you will join me as we transition into the New Testament to discuss the arrival of the Son of Promise. Until then, remain unshakable. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries, where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. If you are listening right now, welcome to the Unshakable Nation. Other ways, if you will check your show notes right there in your podcast app, you will see links to other ways you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation. And as always, I do want to continue to thank those for their giving, who are graciously giving to this ministry to be able to carry out this podcast and bring the message of the gospel. Speaking of that, the most important way you can become a part of the unshakable nation is through your prayers. We covet your prayers greatly. Ask that you continue to pray that we will be sensitive to where God is at work. We will join him there 
reaching and impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Got a couple of things I just want to throw out there this morning, guys, to start off with. Brand new. We have just launched, officially launched, the new apparel store. There are brand new designs that have been added to this new apparel store. It is called Evol, that is E-V-O-L, Christian Apparel. You can go to our website at unshakableministries.com. At the top, you will see a link that says shop. That will take you directly to our apparel store. We have been working on brand new designs, what we believe are going to be better than some of the originals that we had originally put out there. Uh, but anyway, we'd encourage you guys to go over and check that. Remember, each purchase through the apparel store goes towards continuing to support this ministry. So just encourage you to go check that out. Also, obviously, if you are subscribed to the podcast, you know that I missed recording last week. And there is a reason for that. The reason that I did not record, though I promised I was going to bring the next episode in the series, The Son of Promise, that did not happen. And I just wanted to share with you guys this morning, just to get a little vulnerable with you this morning and open up, let you guys know that over the past few weeks, there were some health challenges that had arisen for me. And we were kind of in this period of holding and waiting to see what was going to come of all of this. Needless to say, uh, bottom line is last week I had to have a procedure done and in that procedure had to have uh, multiple tumors removed because I was diagnosed with a form of low-grade bladder cancer. Uh, and I am thankful that it is low-grade. However, in that period of time, I will tell you just to be open and honest with you, there was a little bit of fear that crept in not so much for me, but as I was talking with my wife about this, after everything was done and the final report came back from the doctor, I was telling my wife that one of the biggest things for me was all I could find myself thinking about was my family in all of this because there were a lot of unanswered questions. We didn't know which way this was going to go, how the results were going to come back. And I just began to think about my family and, and what, what would happen with my family and how I'd be able to take care of my family, be there for my family and things like that. And that just, there was a little bit of, of fear that crept in, maybe anxiety more than fear, just wondering how that was going to go down. But I am truly thankful to God for His faithfulness and all that He has done for me in my life and continues to do for me in my life. And I want everyone to understand that you know, there are a lot of people in my life that, you know, they they want to pray for certain things in a certain way and believe that in a lot of ways this might be the will of God. And this just really got me thinking that there were people who were throwing out, hey, we're just going to pray for complete healing and we're going to pray that the doctors are going to go in and say, what, we don't know what happened, you know, but there's nothing there. And the only thing that I could think about ultimately is, you know, perfect healing doesn't happen in this world. Temporary healing happens in this world. So there can be people who can have cancers and they can go through remission and, and live a normal life in this world, but that is not ultimate healing. That is not perfect healing. Perfect healing is when we are finally with our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful how we move forward in these things, in these journeys with, the, with people going through these things and understanding that there are things that come up in our lives that 
are, are there to be used for God's glory, no matter the outcome in this world, what we have to focus on is the eternal outcome. How can these things be used for the glory of God? And that is the view that, that I've wanted to have through this, is to make sure that no matter what, my faith was unshakable in God, no matter what the outcome was. I wanted to continue to be that light and let that light shine before men. And I think so many times people miss this concept when it, when it comes to how they pray for people. And I think ultimately what happens is me obviously being on this side of a diagnosis, I am thankful to God that the diagnosis is a manageable diagnosis, living a somewhat normal life. And, and I'm thankful to God for that. And I don't want that to be misrepresented here. But I would have been thankful to God either way. Because God is God and He is sovereign in everything. God doesn't cause these things to happen. That's not how this happens. We've been talking about that in the Son of Promise series, that God is not this majestic punisher just sitting on a throne casting punishment onto people or causing bad things to happen to people. That's not who God is. God didn't cause this in my life. The fact that we are a fallen creation is what caused this in my life. So there should never be a moment where I blame God for bad things happening in my life. What should happen is I should go to God and say, okay, God, this is what's going on. How can I glorify you in this journey? How can I use what's going on to bring you glory, to turn people to you, to lift you up, magnify you? And I think so many times we miss that, that there are people with terminal diagnosis in, in the cancer world. That they're, they, they, they're told that they only have months to live or, or a few years to live at most. And the truth of it is, is when we sit here and there are people, as I said, that go through these things in their lives and they walk away and they live a normal life, even being told that they only have months to live. But there are some who are told they have months to live and they only live months. And we're sitting here telling them that, you know, God is, is the, the greatest doctor and, and we trust God over everything and, and God will heal you. And, and these, this is giving them a false hope when what we should be doing is we should be encouraging one another with the scriptures and with the truth of scripture that says, hey, you know what? The truth of it is, is you may not make it through this. But just know that while you're still here, God is going to use you. You see, we have a plan. We are appointed and set apart before our birth to do things for God, to do those good works as Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand for us to do. So if we are still here and we are waking up every single day taking a breath, that should be a breath that we are using to glorify and serve God. And that's what we should be telling people and encouraging people with. Sure, it's okay to pray that it might go a different way, but there's still a reality there and it's not pessimism. And it's not the lack of optimism. It's literally being truthful with what we see happen. We see that good Christian people get sick and they die. That's the nature of a fallen world. But that our hope is not placed in what happens in this world. 
Our hope is placed in eternity, in Christ Jesus. So while we're here, how can we glorify God? How can we bring people to Jesus in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our trials, in our tribulations? That is how we should focus. And that is how we should encourage each other when it comes to things like this. Now, again, as I said, I am so thankful to God for the diagnosis, but I was going to be thankful either way because he's God. Who am I to question God in his sovereignty? Who am I to get angry at God? I have nothing to be angry at him about with all of the things that he has done for me in my life. Why would I question him? Ultimate healing is when we are all with our Lord Jesus Christ in eternity, not in this world. Let's not lose our hope in the midst of our trials, in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of bad things going on, because Jesus promised us that things were not going to be great. He told us bad things were coming. So let us set our eyes on Jesus. Focus on Him and focus on telling people about Him. Which brings me into this week, the Son of Promise, part four. And this will be the final recording for the year. I will be back after the new year. But I think during this season, what I would encourage you to do is to pick up your Bible and to read to study for yourself. Don't listen to another podcast by someone else telling you about the birth of Jesus. Don't go to church and just hear it at church. I am encouraging you to spend the next couple of weeks picking up your Bible and reading for yourself what it says. Studying the Word for yourself. Because this season, we celebrate the most magnificent plan that was ever created in all of eternity by the only eternal being or infinite being who is God. Now I want to start in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, this is what it says. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, 
in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who also was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. These words right here, as I read these a few weeks ago, in the midst of what I was going through, these words spoke truth to me. It says in verse 38 right here, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is how we should all live our lives as servants of God. Let it be to me according to your word, according to your will, according to your plan, God. Not according to my word, my will, my plan, but God, what do you have in store for me? Let me be submissive in that. Let it be to me according to your word. We need to focus in on these things to see what we have here. But we see where the angel is now foretelling the birth of Christ to Mary, the mother of Christ. And then we get another view from Joseph's perspective. When Mary is all, has already conceived and is pregnant, we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, Jesus, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. What are we celebrating this season? Let's be quite honest here. This is not something that we should celebrate just this season. This should be something we celebrate daily for the entire year. But there is a focus on it during this season. And what are we celebrating? As we've been talking about through the Son of Promise, we've been talking about God's original intent, how we should regain a focus of who God really is to see the original intent from the beginning all the way to the end. And when you do that, you can't help but see that God's original intent was the redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. So what we see here is we see this amazing plan of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration from the very beginning. And we've talked about how that looked in the life of Noah. So many times people, they miss the focus of the story of Noah. 
They, they focus on the fact that God flooded the earth and all of these people died in the flood and they totally miss the story of redemption in the life of Noah. That God found Noah to be worthy for redemption and He redeemed him. But then we begin to see the true story unfold that not only did He redeem Noah, but then we see the story of Abraham and Isaac. And then we see the story of Ruth the Moabite. And we see all of these stories of redemption. And you see all of these stories of redemption play into the part, a part of the much bigger puzzle that God has put together. The genealogy. We've been doing all of this study in conjunction with the genealogy of Christ. And when you look at the genealogy of Christ, the genealogy is a redemptive genealogy. This is what we've been talking about when you look at it. Noah, a descendant of Jesus. Abraham, a descendant of Jesus. Ruth, a descendant of Jesus. David, a descendant of Jesus. So we see through all of these stories, if you go back and you study the Old Testament, what you don't need to read into, and this is what happens so many times, but God did this, but God did that, and they want to talk about how God wiped people off the face of the earth or instructed His people. This is God we're talking about. The infinite, eternal God who is sovereign over all creation, who is the only righteous and rightful judge, is sovereign in everything. What we are not is sovereign. What we are not is righteous in our judgment. So what we should be looking at from our perspective as a fallen creation, as a sinner, as someone who is destined to go to hell apart from Christ, what we should be seeing is the stories of redemption and how they lead us to Christ. Why do I keep saying that all Scripture should be interpreted and gain context in Christ? Is because that is the original intent of God through all of Scripture. When we read Scripture, we see this story play out. Redemption, restoration, reconciliation, redemption, restoration, reconciliation. It goes on and on and on and on and then Jesus enters the picture and it was the greatest plan of all time that God became flesh and dwelt among us as John 1 tells us. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. And we see all through the New Testament that He came to reconcile us to God. He came to redeem us. There was a price. There was a cost. And Christ paid that price with His own life. So when we look at this season, when we talk about what we are celebrating this season, this is what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the redemptive plan that God put together before He ever created anything. How do we know that? Because God is infinite in nature. God knew that Satan was going to resist and rebel against him. 
God knew that he was going to cast Satan to the earth with a third of the angels. And if the redemptive plan wasn't the original intent, then he would have just sent Satan straight to the abyss, but he didn't because he knew how the whole story would play out. That Adam and Eve would be deceived and take of the fruit. That mankind would become totally corrupt. But God, being love in nature, in character, already had a plan put together. And we see in Romans 5.8 that while we were lost in our sin, God demonstrated His love towards us by sending Jesus Christ. He demonstrated what? Love. While we were lost in our sin. You see, if you want to take that view in the Old Testament of God being a punisher, that does not in any way line up with Romans 5.8 as being who God is. We love because He first loved us. God is love. What we see through the Old Testament, again, is redemption, reconciliation, and restoration roll right into the plan of Jesus Christ who redeemed us, reconciled us. So you see that, and then He, it, through all of this, He continues to restore us. That is who God is. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son. You want to see a perfect picture of who God is? To us, the sinners, that's who God is. So this season, let us set our focus on the Son of Promise, the capital S, Son of Promise, Jesus Christ who was sent by God to redeem us, to reconcile us, and to restore us and give us a hope in eternity. Guys, I truly hope that in this, you will pick it up, you will read, and you will study what it says. Don't let someone else read this story for you this year. Pick it up, read it to yourself, read it to your family this is what it's about. Not to sound cliche, but this is the reason for the season. This is why we celebrate this. Because God, Father, we know we can never repay you for what you have done for us. But we know that the time that you give us here is valuable time that we can spend to glorify you, to show others this redemptive plan that reconciles us and restores us to you. Father, you take all of our sin when we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord. You take our sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it again. If we will confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only you, a sovereign God, could do that. Only you, a sovereign God, could put together this master 
plan, this perfect plan. Only you could do that. And we are thankful for that plan, God. God, in all of this, we pray that you continue to work in our hearts, work in our lives. That we may, Father, we may root ourselves in you. We may become unshakable in our faith, no matter our circumstances, because we have a hope. Christ in us, the hope of glory for an eternal future. God. Give us opportunity. Show us opportunity where we can share this with others. That we would be bold in our faith in proclaiming the gospel and bringing glory to you. Jesus, thank you for coming to dwell among us for just a short period that you might bear our sin on that cross, taking the punishment that we deserve, yet you broke the chains and freed us from the depths of hell. Father, in all of this, we give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise in Christ's name. Guys, I love you. I hope you have a merry, merry Christmas. And until next year, remain unshakable. <laughs>